20% of the world's population are HSP. Uh, you can't change them, but if they understand that, then they, they're in more control. When I say you can't change them, you imagine ballet classes and things like that when people are shouting at, at you know, get that right, da, 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 and, they're, uh, and they're very sensitive. The dancers are very sensitive. You've got to toughen up. You know, ballet is a, is a difficult thing, but of course they're not going to toughen up. They're just going to shrink even further. So by having an understanding, and so most, so the clients that come to see me, I think are more than 50% are HSP. There's, there's a higher percentage in the performing arts than there is uh, in the general population. Balance Ballerinas. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Georgia Canning and I'm your host. I'm really enjoying the Thursday release again. So um, just so much better than Sundays. So when I changed to Sundays this year, I don't even know why I did that. <laughs> because on Sundays when the podcast would release, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like I have to jump on, see how it's responding, you know, check if anyone's commented, post the tile on Instagram and Sundays is a day of rest and uh, it's actually the only day that I'm not in the studio. So um, yeah, I'm really enjoying this being back to a Thursday regular release. So couple of things before we get started today. I'm really enjoying writing my newsletters for the Balanced Ballerinas community and I send them out every Friday, so the day after the podcast. And if you'd love to receive them, send me a DM uh, with your email address and I'll be sure to add you. Or you can actually just jump on balanceballerinas.com and I will um, have a little pop-up that you can just pop your email address in there. So... I'm really enjoying sending the newsletters and I love when people respond. So yeah, if you want to be part of that, jump on. We also have a Facebook group, which is private. And if you go to Facebook and you type in Balanced Ballerinas Secret Group, <laughs> I know I put it as secret because it makes it sound better, um, makes it sound exclusive, but it's definitely not. Everyone is free to join. Um, click join and I'll be sure to add you to the group. There's lots of balanced ballerinas from all around the world that A, receive my newsletters and B, are in that Facebook group. And so it's just nice for really like-minded ballerinas to connect. So without further ado, um, I would love to introduce today's guest. I had the most delightful conversation uh, with a gentleman by the name of Terry Hyde. I say gentleman because Terry came to the interview via Zoom in what looked like a very organized study in a wonderfully dapper suit jacket. I, on the other hand, was in my pajamas, although my bed top is black, so it didn't quite look like I was in my pajamas, but it was 5 a.m. in the morning for me. So in order to be you know, semi-professional, I had to wake up at about 4.30, make myself a very strong coffee. So my apologies if I take a moment to warm up in this interview. I really, really love this conversation and found Terry to be so warm and inviting with his storytelling and passion for his work. Let's face it, I mean, I love anyone who is on a mission and Terry's mission is to provide counselling to dancers, teachers and artistic staff in the hope of creating better learning and working environments for dancers. 
Now, Terry is a registered psychotherapist and counsellor, and Terry started dancing at the age of six, joining the Royal Ballet at age 18 before moving to London's Festival Ballet, which is now known as English National Ballet. He was a soloist there, and he's also even performed in West End musicals, film, and TV. We have a, a very awesome conversation about that. Now, Terry attained a Master of Arts in Psychotherapy, validated by Middlesex University in 2012. And in 2017, he set up the website counselingfordancers.com, specifically to address the mental health needs of dancers. And in 2021, he even created an app, which is so cool. And it's called Help for Dancers, and I highly recommend checking it out. Terry understands the mental health needs of dancers and uses that in his one-to-one therapy sessions and in his proactive mental health care workshops that he provides all around the world via Zoom. So you can actually book an appointment with Terry via his website. And if you feel drawn to him during the listening of this interview, I highly recommend doing so. Reach out, see if this is a service that resonates with you. Terry's a little bit like my mum. He's very intuitive and very warm and he's really open to people sharing their stories, their issues and their idiosyncrasies. (laughs) I can imagine a session with him um, would just be really rewarding. Anyway, a huge thanks to Terry for making time during his busy schedule and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Terry as much as I enjoyed recording it. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Terry. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for asking me, Georgia. I would love to begin by telling um, the listeners a little bit about yourself, if you could, and especially um, a little bit about your performing past and also where in the world you are right now. Okay, well, let's start from the the end of the question. <laughs> um, I'm on the Isle of Wight. Uh, in, in the UK. So it's just off the south coast. And if you look on the map, it's between Portsmouth and Southampton. It's a little diamond shaped island just off the coast, just off. There's water in between called the Solent. And that's where uh, the big cruise liners come from uh, and to going, to going into South Southampton. So that's where I am. And I'm a psychotherapist. And um, a psychotherapist is like a counsellor, except I work a lot deeper on a deeper level, on an unconscious level, looking for triggers. So people come to therapy with symptoms of usually anxiety or depression. And I want to find out what the triggers are for that, um, rather than just helping them with their symptoms and then they go away feeling better. But further down the line, however many months, uh, it'll it'll happen again because triggers are going to happen. So I like to work thoroughly in work through the triggers and they can go back as far as in utero. Uh, You know, when uh, the the mother's pregnant, what difficult situations or what good situations or, and plus the growing up, that environment. Dancing wise, I started a ballet when I was six years old. Uh, My mother sent me to ballet classes because I kept jumping on the furniture. I was a lively child. And uh, rather than having to spend money on new furniture, she took me to ballet classes. And that was at six. So at 10, um, I won five one-year scholarships to the Royal Academy of Dance. 
because uh, I, I lived I lived just on the outskirts of London, so we went to London for that. Um, and then I went to the Royal Valley Senior School, the upper school, as it was then in Barons Court near Hammersmith. It's now uh, part of the Royal Opera House Covent Garden, just over the road in Floral Street. Um, and I was there for two and a half years. The half year was in January of my graduating year, the artistic director of the Royal Ballet phoned up the school and said they'd like me to join because there's a special role for me that <laughs> I, I'm short, I've, I'm five foot five. So there's a special role that the short principal refused to do. Ah, and so, that's so funny. Uh, that's how I got it. <laughs> I won't, I won't mention his name, but thank you very much because that started my career. And, and because, you know, at, uh, in, in the Royal Ballet School, we learn the Royal Ballet's reps. So I knew all the rep. And so I just slotted in and it was great. So that was a temporary contract for that first few months. And then they, they took me on permanently once uh, that, that uh, new, not, it wasn't a new ballet, it was Boutique Fantasque. Um, and so... Uh, I, I uh, got a, a permanent contract after that. Spent uh, nearly three years there and uh, I wanted to extend my character work because I was doing a lot of character work in there, but I was stuck. The old Dead Men's Shoes uh, saga, you know, you still had to wait for people to die off or move Before or leave. Before you could have whatever. your moment. <laughs> yes, that's right. I did get some soloist roles, which was nice. Uh, as a new boy, it, it was great, uh, you know, to, to get these soloist roles, <clears throat> but I wanted to do more. So I joined London's Festival Ballet, which is now called English National Ballet, joined there as a soloist and was doing soloist and principal roles um, in the company. Um, usually, mostly the Russian dancing, Lee Chardas in Sleeping Beauty, um, uh, headmistress in Graduation Ball. Uh, Sancho Panza in Don Q, um, and oh, I've heard Dr. Capelius, and I forgot in uh, in back in the Royal Ballet, it was Puck in Mid Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, so I then had itchy feet again. So about three years I was there, and during the uh, summer break, I saw there was an audition uh, for West Side Story. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> Uh, and I got it, I got it. But it was it was like starting afresh again, you know, going from principal roles down to the uh, the chorus again. But but uh, doing that, I did the tour, which is uh, I think thirteen, yeah, three 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 months, thirteen weeks. Um, Festival Bali phoned, phoned me up and said, "Would you guest for us because we haven't replaced you? So guest for for the Christmas season, you know, all the Russian dancing, the old uncle, and all of that sort of stuff." Um, so I did that, and I thought, oh, no, I don't want to go back to the ballet bubble. And so I went to West End musicals, film and television. So it was quite a, an expanse and a different genre as well. Learn how to tap dance, have Fred and Ginger numbers, and wow, it's great stuff. Um, and and it, did, it, it enabled me to understand a different world, but still dance. Uh, and I was doing acting roles as well and getting moving up. Um, but due to family issue, I had to, to give up and um, I just plowed ahead. I said, OK, I've got to give up. Now, what am I going to do next? OK, let me set a business up. I've got to set a business up looking after people in show business. So I, I built this uh, business from nothing 
which is business management and, and looking after people in show business. So not just dancers, there was actors, singers, um, uh, lighting designers, uh, theater designers, and even, even Georgia, two dentists. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. Just thrown in for good measure. Thrown in for, well, they were dentists of some of my clients, you see. So, oh, okay. And obviously my clients have said, oh, Terry's doing all this for me. And he's doing, oh, really? I could do something like that. And there we are. I've got two dentists as well. Wow. And so so what, what, what inspired you to obviously start that business in the first place, though? There must have been a catalyst. Um. <clears throat> I spent a year at Schroeder's, Schroeder, the, the bank. It's an old bank. I think it's closed down now, but it's an, it's an old, oldie worldie bank um, dealing with financial services. So I spent there, I was trained up, and I thought, this is what people in showbiz that they need to trust somebody. And this theme goes on into my mm -hmm. next career. They I can need to trust yes. someone. <laughs> Uh, and so I left there and set up the business, uh, financial advisor, independent financial advisor. Um, and then I realized when I was going to see people, the, their accountants weren't really looking after them because in those days they would wait like two or three years before doing their accounts. Uh, some of the clients who were VAT registered had spent all their VAT money and the VAT customs and excise were on at them. And the same thing for inland revenue, they spent their tax or they didn't put it aside, just spent all their money. And so I, I thought this, they need someone to look after them. So I learned how to do bookkeeping. And uh, then I got bookkeepers in to do that because it just got too much. Then I got a qualified accountant to come in, do that. I got someone else to do the financial services as well. And I was doing the business management, which was looking after everything. Uh, their agents would send me their money, it would go into their, their bank account and I'd set up a spending money account for them. So they couldn't spend all their tax. I'd set up VAT and, uh, in, and tax accounts so that we'd, we'd take so 30% from, uh, from their income and the, the VAT money goes into, into the VAT account. So everything was sort of safer. I had to negotiate with customs and excise or the inland revenue on their behalf to try to clean up the mess before, you know, setting it all up properly. I love um, it because of... oh, I was just going to say, like, uh, it's it's such a great concept because there are so many performing artists that are never taught how to take care of their finances. Mm. It's it's yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, but you know, when I started doing that, so that was in 1985. Um, in America, most performers, that's even the jobbing dancers and jobbing actors, had business managers, but it was never heard of over here. You get the occasional lawyer, the occasional accountant doing something similar, but not the same because they were only doing their area. Um, so then that started building up uh, with other people doing it. But it didn't matter because by then, that was 15 years I ran that. Um, clients would start offloading after we'd have our meetings, they start offloading all their personal issues onto me. So I've obviously got that sort of face. Do, do, do you know what I mean? You know, people would come up and talk to me. I've got this terrible issue about something. And then they, they just talk about yeah. their issues. But you I'm know, talking my about mom, 
my mum has that face and there's some people that they can just stand there in public and someone will start coming up to them and just talking to them about their problem. <laughs> I, was trying yeah. to, I was trying to order flowers the other day, Terry, and the florist, I had my mum with me and the florist started offloading her entire life to my mother. And I'm just standing there like, why is this happening all the time? I can't take her anywhere. So you must be the same. <laughs> yeah. Is your mother a sensitive person? Yes, and very intuitive. Okay. So look up HSP, highly sensitive person. Uh, the website is, um, so it's Dr. Elaine Aaron. The website is hsperson.com. So your listeners can do the same because I have found, uh, and I will tell you what the, the transition is in a minute. Yeah, from I'm literally writing manual. this down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, so Dr. Elaine Aaron has, has uh, found that 20% of the world's population are HSP. You can't change them, but if they understand that, then they're in more control. When I say you can't change them, you imagine ballet classes and things like that when people are shouting at, you know, get that right, da, 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 and, they're, and they're very sensitive. The dancers are very sensitive. You've got to toughen up. You know, ballet is a, is a difficult thing. But of course, they're not going to toughen up. They're just going to shrink even further. So by having an understanding, and so most, so the clients that come to see me, I think are more than 50% are HSP. There's, there's a higher percentage in the performing arts than there is uh, in the general population. Once they start understanding what's going on for them, they can then adjust to situations. They do most of the time adjust the situations. They won't go into crowded places. They won't go into noisy parties. Um, and, and in that way, that's their protection. But I've got techniques that, that I use in the session, which helps a great deal. And they've, all of them, how, however uh, left field, I think the Americans call it, it seems, however weird these techniques that I use, um, it works for them. And it's too difficult to explain over um, yeah, on, on our podcast. So going back to the transition, so these people were offloading on me. And when I sold the business 15 years after I started it, I then thought I'd really like to find out what to do or what to say when people start offloading on me. So I retrained as a psychotherapist, as you do. As you do. As you do, yes. Um, and so in 2010, I, I, I was qualified and I was, uh, yeah, I was qualified and, uh, but it wasn't until 2017, no, 2016, sorry, that a, a retired dancer came to me having been discharged from a psychiatric unit. Uh, and she knew that, that I was, I used to be a dancer or I used to be a professional. I still count myself as a dancer. I do a little bit of salsa and a, Bit of Argentine tango. So Once a dancer, always a dancer. <laughs> yes, quite right. My wife says, you never keep still when the music's on and I'm tapping. I, don't, I mean, I'm tapping with my hands or the drums or on my thighs. Uh, I just can't keep still. But that's probably the I can't, I can't yeah. yeah. I can't open the fridge without whipping out an arabesque, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that old joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you... you Take your curtain calls when you open the fridge. Yes. <laughs> um, 
So where was I? We digress, Georgia. I know. So we're talking about how you've then oh, retrained. Yes. Yep. Yes, retrained. And 2016, a dancer, um, discharged from a psychiatric unit, came to see me. And there was, there was this great understanding. I thought, this is what dancers need. So um, in January of 2017, I set up the website, pens and papers ready, people listening, counsellingfordancers.com. And in the UK, I'm not sure whether in Australia as well, it's double L. So I know in the US, it's a single L for counselling. I think I use a double um, L. Yeah. I'm sorry? I think I use a double L. It's one of those okay. ones. <laughs> And it's the same. It's the same for the Instagram account. That is uh, counselling for dancers as well. And that is when I started my uphill struggle to try and break the stigma in dance, the mental health stigma that blocks everything. If you show any sign of weakness in the dance world, you're dead. Mm-hmm. So there is a fear about showing weakness, whether it's injury. So you work through your injuries, you perform through your injuries, which of course shortens your career life, or you don't even get there. So you're at a vocational school and you're uh, being pushed uh, and the voices in your head are saying, you've got to go through, you've got to push through this. And then you don't get anywhere because you're injured or you're injured so badly you, you can't perform anymore. And So this is what I'm trying to do at the moment is to be able to get the powers that be, whether whether they be uh, artistic directors, ballet management, you know, ballet masters, ballet mistresses, uh, the uh, heads of vocational schools and even the dancers down the line. Because I'm I'm doing um, regular workshops for the RAD. Uh, I've done some workshops for ISTD as well. Mm-hmm. And it's Wonderful. to get teachers to understand um, how they speak to the dancers, how they speak to the students. Because the off-the-cuff remarks might seem funny to the teacher, but it could mean a lot to that student or that dancer because they have got their own background. They've got the way that they were brought up. I mean, a lot, a lot of, and I've heard this, a lot of dancers start dancing to escape from home. So if they have an abusive childhood at home and they go in and then they're shouted, there's nowhere to go. Um, So they're triggered straight away. And and because they like dancing, they'll stay there. but, but they are triggered. And so therefore, everyone is unique. And when I'm doing the workshops for the dancing schools and the vocational schools, this is what I try and say to the students. You are all unique. There's no good you comparing yourself to anyone else because there's only one of you. You are good at something, at least something. Keep that something and work on the other things as well. You'll never be perfect. No one is ever perfect. Work for excellence, not for perfection. And I explained yeah. to them about these prima ballerinas that tour around and guest and, and they're uh, in the big companies around the world. They never do 
the set pardideurs, they only do within those pardideurs, within the solos, what they're able to do really well. And that's why you're looking at wonderful dancers. Now, if you have to do, do that, uh, it's, it's not going to look good. So that's why they change it to their own abilities and good on them, you know, to, to do that because that's where they've got to. They're all good at everything, but they're brilliant at some things and they're going to put the brilliant stuff in. It's interesting, isn't it? I do find on the student level, especially the pre-professional vocational level, that students are sort of uh, pushed and moulded into all being the exact same. And yet then when they reach a professional setting, they're asked for something more or they're asked for something unique. And it's like, but you've bashed into them that they need to look and behave exactly like little clones. And and I, I absolutely love the quote that you just said about striving for excellence and not perfection. And um, I just mm. think that's so important. But how is your endeavour going in regards to artistic staff and teachers and it's a big pursuit, Terry. <laughs> it certainly is. There is still the old guard there, unfortunately. There, there's some, there's, there's two different things. There's the old guard up the top. Yeah. And they need to be put into retirement and moved on and, and leave them in the glory that they used to be. Yep. Okay. And then the new blood comes in because the new blood has gone through all that old school stuff. And in their heads, and I've heard this from teachers in their heads, they're saying, I was taught like that in the old days, and I never want to, to uh, see anyone being treated like that for brilliant, you know, hearing that, that teachers do not, or artistic directors do not want that to happen. So there's been lots of doors closed in my face or not even opened. Um, because there's, there's still that fear. There's still the stigma. Oh, mental health. Oh, no, we mustn't talk about mental health. That's a weakness, isn't it? Oh, mental health. What would the audience think if they knew that they had mental health issues? Well, you know, aren't the audience realised that one in four people in their life are going to have a mental health illness? And, you know, they're so naive to, to think that no one's got mental health issues. And the other thing is, if you're going to treat them so badly and bully them into, into working better, then they're going to have mental health issues. If you support your dancers and, and give them a, a place of safety and they feel safe to say, uh, I've really hurt my knee, I can't go on. And then the, the physical therapist says, you actually need three weeks off. And they say, well, can you do it in two weeks? No, you need three weeks off. And so the dancer feel, needs to feel safe to say, I need to have three weeks off. And the, the artistic director, the ballet management say, yeah, okay. And get someone else to come in, uh, in the meantime. And that's the fear. Off for three weeks, who's gonna replace me? Are they gonna be permanent? Will I actually get back my roles? Will I get another contract because I've been injured? And the thing is, if right from the beginning, from the age of dot, whenever people start, if they're given a safe space and they don't have that old way of the teacher knows best and the child, as they're growing up, are able to express their feelings openly and safely in class, then they will have, if they get to the level of a, a, a profession, they will have a longer career because they're not 
pushing themselves to a limit where they're going to injure themselves. They're not trying to prove something that I can dance through my injuries. Now, there was one company, or there is one company, and I'm not going to say what country it is, mm -hmm. came to me uh, badly injured um, and really depressed about the, the whole situation. So we were working through, and that uh, client said, I was rewarded uh, to a soloist because I worked through my injuries. Oh, and what does that teach the human? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's uh, you know that's it's unbelievable that uh, that happened, and I'm sure it it, it is happening everywhere uh, with that type of artistic director. So how that's how do we? You. That stunned you. You, you stunned in yeah. silence. <laughs> exactly. I mean, how how do we change this? Do we have to wait until the old guard die and we just wait for the new ones to come through, or, you know, how do we change this incredibly harmful system? Um, well, there is an evolution going on. Mm. A revolution would be better, but an evolution is happening at the moment. The revolution could happen if everyone says, I'm not having this, I'm not being treated like this, or we are not being treated like this. The, the trustees of those companies need to know what is happening to ask the um, artistic director, or if it's a school, then the, um, the director of the school to move on or to hand their notice in. Um, because if that doesn't happen, a great hoo-ha is going to happen. And then those artistic directors, those um, people in, in places of trust uh, are going to be called out. We had in this country, this is not an artistic director, but this is uh, Chang, I can't remember what his first name is, is now spending I think nine years in prison for sexual abuse of students from English National Valley School. Yes, I saw that. And so, these girls are brave enough to come forward to do that. And I think that's wonderful. So this is what it needs. It does need the voice of the parents, if they're students, or the students themselves, the dancers in the professions. Uh, they need to be called out. There are, there are ballet masters. I know there's at least one ballet master because I've got the client here from a ballet company. Again, I'm not going to say what country. Um, who, who's abusive, really abusive. And all of the dancers, this client says, won't speak out because they're fearful of losing a contract. This ballet master is very close to the artistic director. And the artistry is not, not doing anything. So it's complicit. The artistic director is complicit. And exactly the same way, if there's any other verbal, emotional, sexual, whatever abuse that's going on, within the company itself, not at the top level, but within the company itself, everyone that stays silent is complicit to it. So it does need everyone to speak up about it. It's happening, uh, you know, the Harvey Weinstein and, and all of that from, from that point. So I think what's difficult is that, yeah, I think what is also difficult is that with, with dancers and especially um, the arts, there's this sense that everyone is replaceable. I think sometimes if you're a, 
you know, uh, an incredibly successful or famous tennis player or an actress in regards to like the movies, you know, a celebrity. There's a little bit more power in regards to speaking out, but I think what's a little bit sad is sometimes I have watched dancers that speak out then fall by the wayside um, and then they're known and branded as, you know, oh, that girl that spoke out who was sexually assaulted or, or you know, took down that company and instead of being known for their dancing, how do we, how, how would a dancer confidently, I mean, it's probably asking the impossible, but how would they confidently be able to approach this? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I do know what you mean. And, and that is the argument that comes back to me all the time. Mm. How does someone speak up when there are so many dancers that could just be replaced? You know, you're replaceable, you speak out, um, yeah. you're going to be blacklisted or, you know, you're never going to work again. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a threat in itself. And these are, these are narcissistic um, people who have no empathy and uh, just, just don't care. And they think they're above the law, which is what was actually quoted in, in court um, about Chang, who was, was imprisoned. And he didn't even think he'd done wrong. Mm. They never do. Well. No, no. So the, the thing is to watch out for these traits. So the, the tantrums, childlike tantrums, when, when the person is upset, they'll go into silent treatment, silent mode gaslighting these are all narcissistic traits so keep your eyes open people for this you will never change them they'll never change um but the powers that be the trustees whoever do have the power to move them. unfortunately some of the trustees are in the pocket of the artistic directors or the principal <clears throat> there are schools whose principal actually built the school from scratch. There are schools all around the world. And they can be really lovely. There are the few that have built it up and are not going to budge. And they're going to be, you know, treat them uh, the way that uh, the, old, the old school. And then it goes down the line. So the teachers will teach them the way that the principal wants it, even though they know it's harming the, the students. Um, I'm speaking from experience here with clients, not for my for myself. I, I yeah. fortunately had a lovely teacher and a number of lovely supportive teachers throughout uh, my training. Um, That's so, so I lovely to that hear. <laughs> That's so lovely yes, to hear. It does, it does happen. I mean, you know, you you think about how many schools there are around the world. Mm. Not, not, not all, it's the minority, but some of the big, big companies and big schools are the minority. And unfortunately they still, they've got the big names. Um, and I think that's, that's the attraction. Oh, say the trustees, if we get rid of this uh, artistic director or the director of the school, they attract a lot of money, what we're we gonna do. And, and so, you know, things are kept quiet. Um, I can't think of the, the DJ in this country who, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure the people who are going to listen to this say, it was, oh, Jimmy Savile, that's right. 
Jimmy Savile in, in the UK, um, he throughout his life, life were, was running marathons for charity and doing all this for charity and found that he was actually sexual, sexually abusing children in hospital because he was given, given the keys to wards, uh, because he was bringing money into the hospital. And some of the nurses knew what was going on. So they were really complicit. And they thought, even if they complained, no one would believe them. And that's wow. the things like rape and sexual abuse. No one would believe uh, them. And these are the stories I'm getting from, from girls who've been uh, sexually abused by well-known people. Who would believe me? They're gonna believe that other person. How do you work through um, these issues with your clients? I mean, I know you can't give us specifics, but what what does that sort of look like? Well, it, it has to get to a point to, to for them to realise it's not them. Mm. It's not their fault. And because they, they blame themselves. I, I, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Um, did I attract him to me? It's all these sort of things. No, it's not got nothing to do with you. It's, it's the other person, you know, whether it's a male or a female, it's the other person. It's not, not you. You then have to go through the post-traumatic distress disorder, PTSD. Um, so, th so that it's to working through that because the amygdala in the, in the middle of the brain is, is, is the lock. It's stopping all of that that's going on behind that lock and it seeps out occasionally into the consciousness. And that's where you get the flashbacks. Mm. So you have to deal with all of that in a very slow process. It's no good just going back and working through the trauma. It has to be done uh, calmly, uh, quietly, and at the pace that the client wants to go through. That. some of them say no I, it's too much I can't go through so we have to stop and then sometime later they're like, okay I'm ready now and then we start again through the process mm. but they've already released some things uh, doing that but it, 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 it is traumatic now we as therapists have to have one and a half hours of clinical supervision a month this is in the UK I don't know the rest of the world so that if we're going through this sort of a, a, a therapeutic relationship with a trauma client, we need to be able to offload to somebody else as well. Mm. So we're, we're protecting ourselves by, uh, and also protecting the client as well. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. I don't know what the rules are here in Australia, but that's so important. I sometimes do think about mm. what do counselors and you know um, people that, that absorb these stories and these uh, negative emotions, what, what do you do with it? <laughs> well, when I was training, um, I had to do four weeks of weekly therapy. That was part of my training. So I personally had to do, had to have therapy. And I thought, when I, when I first saw it, there's nothing wrong with me. What do I want <laughs> therapy for? Well, you know, it's, I have learned for, uh, during that time, of course, I'm holding on to things, all the things that went on in my career, all the things, the reasoning why I had to give up my uh, dancing career. Um, I, I never went through the grief process on that. 
And so all these things we were holding on to, even little small things, but of course little small things become big things eventually. And that's where, uh, that's what that's what I like about uh, therapy is working through, you know, the old uh, adage of peeling back the onion skin. Yes. In therapy. Yeah. So that's what I, I like, you know, seeing a client go, peeling it back as, 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 as they're talking through it and finding that little grit that comes out from there. Say, oh, that's the reason why. And, you know, these lovely light bulb moments that happen in therapy uh, really make it worthwhile. Yeah, it must be really satisfying. You, you it know, is. Helping yes. people. You have such a, a job that's of service, you know. Mm. It is. Yeah, it's 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 really good. And I really enjoy it, uh, you know, to be able to do that. And especially with dancers. I'd love to just quickly touch on um, your mental health self-care workshops for dancers that you host in schools and dance companies. Um, mm -hmm. So people listening, feel free to get in touch with Terry. But what's what's involved in a nutshell in these special sessions? Well, these um, I aim them to be proactive in other words um, schools may or may not have uh, in-school counsellors or may or may not refer um, their students to uh, counsellors outside uh, but even so those counsellors probably don't understand dancers and that's the thing when I get a, a client come in one of the first questions I ask have you had previous therapy because I'd like to know uh, the history and if they say yes I said did it help more often than not, they say no, because they didn't understand it. And in fact, a lot of them say, I, I didn't go to therapy again. <laughs> Just the one off because they didn't understand. It's too much explanation as to the mindset. But one's, uh, not, not more than one, has said to me, um, they, they were told in, in so many words, you've got so much anxiety. Is ballet the right career for you? A dancer doesn't want to hear that. And of course, the last thing they want to hear. Of course it is. It's the last thing they want to hear. But the thing is, the anxiety has got nothing to do with the performance. It's got something to do with something else back in their life. So to be the honest, that's going will... to create even more anxiety. It is. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're proactive. It gives, uh, it gives the dancers tools to understand what their triggers are, what the symptoms are, so they understand uh, what the triggers are. Are they real? Are you, are you bringing it on yourself? And I, I know people say, oh, it's all in your head. Well, yeah, actually it is in your head. Our minds are so powerful. You know, they create anything. They actually create our own reality by the way, by the way we think. If we get up in the morning and we're not feeling on top of the world, we're feeling a bit down, it, one person would say, Oh, I'm feeling awful. I know it's going to be a terrible day today. Oh, dear, not again. And of course, that invariably means that they've got to have a rotten day because they've told themselves they're going to have a rotten day. On the other hand, someone with a different mindset, a more flexible mindset will say, oh, I'm not feeling good, but I'm sure I'm going to be feeling a lot better during the day as the day goes on. And so they've already told themselves it's going to be better. Yeah. So these are the sort of tools that I'm talking about. I, I, I talk to them about anxiety. Where does it come from? How it fits into their life? 
is it positive? Is it negative? Um, and I also, I'm not going to tell you too much because I like yes, these surprises in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the workshops. So we work on different ways. So there's a fixed mindset and a flexible mindset. And so we work on how you can change your mindset in, in that. Um, understanding about body image. Um, if a school wants me to talk about eating disorders, I will, but I won't do it. Uh, necessarily, but body image is one thing, uh, comparing, perfectionism, that's, that sort of uh, stuff. Touching on neurodiversity as well, uh, because what I have found is that dancers uh, are more likely to be higher on the scores, not necessarily at a diagnosable level, higher on the scores of neurodiversity uh, of the two of the five main neurodiversity, which is autism and ADHD. Um, and so, so from a personal point of view, I know, because I've done the scoring uh, on these, uh, the, the quiz I, I normally get people to, to do. Um, and, and I realize it's the black and white thinking from ballet training. You know, you're either in the right third position or you're not. And, and, and you know, there's right and wrong and that's it. I found that in Irish dancing, Borum and Latin dancing, because that's competitions, and uh, classical Indian dancing. The pressures are all on, on there as, as well. Not so much uh, contemporary, mm. because that's you know, slightly freer, but it's such a rigid way of thinking for the ballet. It creates this black and white thinking. It, but when you look at neurodiverse traits, a lot of them are positive. The focus, the drive, the, the, the ability to do lots of things at once and to be able to look out the window as if you're gazing into nothing. That's <laughs> <laughs> the attention deficit. <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, uh, that is basically what the workshops are all about. I, I, was di I did one <clears throat> today for the Faculty of Washington Ballet um, and uh, that was very interesting because there's ex-dancers, ex-professional dancers and teachers who are professional teachers. In other words, they've never performed professionally. And it was it was an incredible mix. And we got lots of stories out of that, lots of opening up about the way that they were treated. And because, you know, I, I, I advocate a way of um, teaching to be able to support, which is what I was talking about earlier. I also advocate a five minute meditation uh, before the first class of the day. Now, in uh, a primary school, for both research has been... And, sorry, for both teachers yeah, and I gave, students? I gave, yeah. I, yeah, I gave the, the teachers the uh, meditation and they loved it. And then uh, yesterday was the professional company of Washington. And last week was the uh, graduate year of, of the Washington Ballet School <clears throat> and they did the meditations for them as well to give them an idea of what it was like and the faculty I think really liked it. I've, I've uh, yet to send off the script because I've got a two five minute uh, meditation scripts that they can work from to give uh, their students. So that the faculty were teachers of the company and teachers of the school. Mm. I um, it's interesting, you know. I I find it very difficult 
to sit down and just have a quiet moment for myself. But I've found in the past year or two, when I actually get to the studio a little bit earlier and put on, you know, one of my 10 minute meditations from my Headspace app, <laughs> I, um, I'm a far better teacher. I, the class just runs so much smoother. I, it works. It just works. And, and it's, mm -hmm. I think it's getting to this point now where some people are like, oh, meditation, you know, like it's a bit woo-woo. They're still, they're still at that point. But there is, I, yeah. yes, and I'm quietly experimenting with it. And I, I, it's working. Like it really is working. And I've even had some clients. I teach lots of adults as well, Terry. So I have mm -hmm. lots of morning and evening classes and, and a few of my adults have said to me, oh, in the last couple of years, like you've just, I don't know, like there's a, you, your teaching style has changed and I don't know, you're just becoming an even better teacher. And, and that's the best compliment I could receive. And they don't know behind that's the scenes lovely. that that's it's lovely. really just a 10 minute meditation. Mm. And sometimes you find yourself doing it and you're like, why am I doing this? Like, what am I, you know? And then it, it really does work. It really does. So I, I highly I, I recommend it. I digressed when I was telling you about the, the uh, primary school. Yeah, yeah. So they did some research at a primary school uh, and, and, and did a five-minute meditation at the beginning of each day. And they found that the, that the pupils were quieter. They concentrated more and more work got done. And there were less children being sent out of the room from disruption. And uh, my wife reminded me this evening when I was telling her uh, about the meditation for Washington. Uh, and she said, oh, you forgot to say that it was in prison as well. So there, there's a prison of, of uh, I mean, a, high, a high security prison. There's been less uh, agitation since they've been doing meditation in there. Wow, there you go. But it works. It does. Oh, it really thousands, does. Thousands of years old, and it, it still works. You don't have to sit with your fingers in in no. mudras, uh, and you don't have to sit cross-legged. You know, you sit in a chair, and, and that's what we did today. They, they sat in sat in chairs, hands on the uh, face down on their thighs or in in their lap. No gripping, no gripping. Yeah. Uh, of fingers because that causes tension, and then I just talk them through. The meditation and can i plug my free app please i was just about to say tell us about your app because uh i've recorded meditations on that as well and, and my, my wife as well as on there so you've got a, a male and a female voice if you don't like my voice you know like <laughs> i love your voice <laughs> <laughs> um, i want to tell you all my problems <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah um so it's, it's a free app, but it's, it's only like a skeleton app. Although I think there's, people have said that you've got a lot of stuff on there, but it's, it's actually the precursor of version two, which is coming out either in December or January, depending how much time I've got to load the thing. Oh, it takes um, so much time, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, especially when you've got rubbish Wi-Fi <laughs> to load that. Um, so it's, it's split in three. There is the mental health part, physical health part, and other help and support, other advice and support, I think it is. So the physical health has me, uh, a colleague of mine who uh, specializes in eating disorders and OCD, um, and an Australian, no, 
a Canadian uh, dance teacher <laughs> who is also a qualified counsellor. Uh, she's on there as well. Uh, so it's three of us. And then on physical health, I've got a physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach from Australia. Uh, and after the strength and, strength and conditioning coach, there is uh, Joe Duffy, uh, an Irish dancer from Washington, D.C. Uh, he's done all the big Irish dance shows uh, with that famous guy <laughs> whose name escapes me. It's late at night, people here. It's late at night. Yes. And I, I'm going to let everyone know, too, that it's 5 a.m. for me. <laughs> yes, it's really early on the other side of the world. We're doing well. Uh, we're doing well. We are staying awake <laughs> both from both ends. Um, and it's, I've got a load of others. I've got a couple of people doing some, some yoga, meditation, Beautiful. Uh, mindfulness meditation, I mean. Um, and then on the, on the other help, I've got business managers, business coach rather, an ordinary life coach. Um, and I've got uh, Miko Nistanen from Boston Ballet talking about Boston Ballet and, and the ethos there and a bit of his hi history. I've got dancers talking about their mental health um, which is great, you know, to have these Wonderful. dancers open up and talking about it. <clears throat> um, and I've got so much more on the new one that I can't even remember. Uh, it sounds what's fabulous. On the new so uh, the, all, all of them are dance related. In other words, they've been in the profession. They've been professional dancers and now they've turned their hand to something else. And so that like me, they understand, except for my colleague who does eating disorders and eat, he's got nothing to do with dance. But because it's eating disorders and OCD, I thought I'd bring him in on that. So they've all recorded six, but on the free app, there's only one of each of them on there. It's just to tempt people to think, oh, wow, look at that. And all the others are on uh, the main app that's coming up. And that's the subscription app app but it's this a, one is it's a teaser it's a teaser and georgia i know you're going to ask me about this and i have uh started publishing personal development books especially for dancers so four are out already another one's coming out on monday so there's two a month they're only about 35 pages long each but there's a uh, a workbook with most of, of them. So it makes up sort of 60 odd pages. Uh, $4.99, I don't know what that is in US dollars. I know it's round about $7 in- Yeah, about that. A story. I know, I know in US dollars is around about $7. I don't know what it is in Australian dollars. Is it about double? Um, it's about, it yeah, it's about double, about double. So that's super, super reasonable. And especially for the content that you're providing, definitely. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think I've run out of uh, selling things, my no. services. Oh, and of course, yes, I do. I do one-to-one -one therapy sessions. And all of those things can be seen on my website. And you can book a direct uh, session with me on my diary on my website. Yeah. Now, Terry, I always finish every interview with um, a question. How do you keep balanced in your life? I give myself time. And, and that's one thing. That's one thing I impress on dancers, whether they're students 
or whether they are, I know I'm going to get back to the answer in a minute. Yeah. Um, I do digress a lot, I know. Uh, is when you have a day off, have a day off. Don't do any dancing. Don't do any cross training. Don't talk to another dancer. Go out. And that's what I do. Yeah, good. I need to be a, medita- a lot better at that. Meditation helps as well. It does. It really does. Thank you so much. I've really loved this conversation. And I, even though it's like now, it's now 6 a.m., but I didn't have to, st- I didn't have to try and stay awake at all. I found all of that so fascinating. So I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite some time. And I really respect the work that you're doing. And um, it's my absolute pleasure to share it with my little slice of the world with the Balanced Ballerinas community. So thank you so much. Thank you, Georgia, for asking me. My pleasure. I love talking with people like you and your listeners.